The scripture reading this morning comes from the book of Exodus, chapter 1, verses 6 through 22. Now Joseph and all of his brothers and all that generation died, but the Israelites were exceedingly fruitful. They multiplied greatly, increased in numbers, and became so numerous that the land was filled with them. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. Look, he said to his people, the Israelites have become far too numerous for us. Come, we must deal shrewdly with them, or they will become even more numerous, and if war breaks out, we'll join our enemies, fight against us, and leave the country. So they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor, and they built Python and Ramesses as store cities for Pharaoh. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. They made their lives bitter with harsh labor in brick and mortar and with all kinds of work in the fields. In all their harsh labor, the Egyptians worked them ruthlessly. The king of Egypt said to the Hebrew midwives, whose names were Shipra and Pua, when you are helping the Hebrew women during childbirth on the delivery stool, if you see that the baby is a boy, kill him. But if it is a girl, let her live. The midwives, however, feared God and did not do what the king of Egypt had told them to do. They let the boys live. Then the king of Egypt summoned the midwives and asked them, Why have you done this? Why have you let the boys live? The midwives answered Pharaoh, Hebrew women are not like Egyptian women. They are vigorous and give birth before, before the midwives arrive. So God was kind to the midwives, and the people increased and became even more numerous. And because the midwives feared God, he gave them families of their own. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people, Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw into the Nile, but let every girl live. May God bless the reading of his word. So this morning, um, we didn't do this in the first service, but, uh, but we're going to do it in the second service uh, because I'm a little bit more awake. Uh, I'm going to teach you a, a phrase uh, in Russian, and uh, it's only going to be three words. And uh, the first word is ya. So let's say that together. Ya. And the second word is knee, like, you know, this is my knee. So, knee. And so let's say those two together. Ya, knee. And then the, the, the third uh, word is znayu. Znayu. And it's a little bit more difficult, but I think you can pull it off. And so let's say that together. Znayu. All right, now let's... Let's do, put them all three together. Ya, ni, znayu. Now, what does that mean? I don't know. No, that's what it means. I don't know. <laughs> uh, and it's a good phrase to know when you, uh, when you first moved to, to Russia. And, uh, and uh, I could teach you the other one, which is I don't understand, but it's a little bit more challenging. And I can remember uh, practicing that one for three weeks and not getting it right uh, while we were still in the United States in training. But um, in, anyway, in January 1995, we moved to Chabadis, Russia. And, uh, and prior to that time, uh, Ellen and I uh, knew that we you know, needed to understand Russian. And, and we're going from zero, uh, well, no, I knew three words, uh, da, niet, and vodka. So, so I did have that, you know, but that, there's, there's only so much you can go, uh, go with those three words uh, in, in a culture. And... Uh, 
anyway, you know, we had, uh, as we traveled, we go to uh, uh, different places and churches to help raise support and awareness of what was going on in Russia, and, and we listened to a, a cassette tape series, and, and the interesting thing is, as we learned things like, uh, like how to count, where is that, uh, uh, bring it on up, that, that picture of the, there we go, Russian, uh, learn basic Russian in three minutes, you know, it's because they, uh, and actually I, I listened to that, and she does take three minutes to teach you how to count one to ten, but anyway, uh, as we were listening to, to that, uh, we, we later learned when we actually got in country, uh, that it didn't help us as much as we thought it helped us. And uh, anyway, uh, there was a point after spending a year in Russia, coming back to the United States, uh, we were curious as to you know, how many bookstores and libraries actually had material about Russian or how to learn Russian. And, and as it turns out, uh, it's pretty prevalent. Uh, and of course, this is a, a YouTube. You can get, a, get on YouTube and, and find some... Uh, some places where they'll teach you Russian or French or Spanish. Um, and, but uh, the thing is that kind of surprised us is, is uh, when you would read something like uh, uh, learn Russian in 15 minutes a day. And I'm going, we had just spent uh, nearly a full year there, and we were still going, I'm not sure if I've got it. Uh, and, and there was this sense of, you know, at least from the perspective of we as Americans, we kind of want things to happen instantly, quickly, easily. And, and if it takes a, a lot of time or effort, we kind of like, I, I need to move on to something else. And, and, and so uh, when I was thinking about this, you know, one of the things uh, is, is when we moved to Russia, uh, we, you know, we were starting basically from, from scratch. Uh, I had read one Russian novel and uh, and and didn't understand it. Uh, I didn't know what was going on. Uh, uh, Brothers Karamazov, and uh, and 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 you know now if I read it, I'd understand it because it is so tied to the culture. But I didn't understand the culture. I didn't understand nicknames. I didn't you know there was so much I didn't understand. But as I spent time, uh, as we spent time in in Russia. Uh, there, there was this, you begin to absorb the language, you begin to absorb the culture, and before you know it, you don't even realize that there has been a change on the inside that starts to show up on the outside. And I, I remember uh, the moment that it really hit me was when I was sitting uh, in, the, in the, uh, the square, one of the, uh, I, I believe it was Komsomol Square, uh, in our city, and this uh, wedding party got out of their car, uh, and you know they're going around, and, and the bride is showing off, and everybody's with them. They're celebrating uh, this new 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 life together, and uh, and they wanted a, a picture of the whole uh, wedding party, and and they saw me, and, and they came over and asked me to to take a uh, a picture, and of course they said it in Russian, and. And I, and I responded in Russian, but then they, they apologized, uh, excuse us, uh, we didn't know you were American. And, uh, and, and, and that was actually a great compliment to me because I knew what it meant, uh, that, that somehow I looked, after living in Russia, I looked Russian. I acted Russian until I opened my mouth. And, uh, and, 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 
anyway, there's, there's this awareness as we talk about transforming lives. You know, uh, let, for, for a moment, we haven't said it yet. Let's say it together. What, what are we about? We're about loving people, transforming lives, making disciples. And, and this series that we're looking at is right now transforming lives. And um, as, as we look at, at transforming lives, there's this awareness that when we talk about transformation, what we're talking about is, is, this, is developing a relationship that is centered in the cross. Uh, we're taking on the culture of Jesus Christ, which is the culture of the cross, that we're, we're moving uh, our lives toward what it means to be followers of Jesus, which will involve the cross. And... And along with that, we're, we're being shaped by the language and character of the person of Jesus Christ. And, uh, and that takes time. It's not, it's not 15 minutes a day and, and suddenly you're, you're conversant in what it is to be a follower of Jesus Christ. Uh, and and uh, the, the question that kind of... Uh, I've been working with this this uh, past week is just simply uh, the title of the message. Well, how long do you wait? Uh, you, know, you know, if you start to follow Jesus Christ, how long do you wait for these changes to take place? How long do you wait until you can say, I'm fluent in, in being a follower of Jesus Christ? And, and with that in mind, then, then I want to look at Exodus uh, chapter 1, verses 6 through 22, and, and kind of look at what's going on here that will help us answer the question, how long do we, basically, how long do we stick this thing out? How long do we continue in, in this way? And with a, a little bit of background, uh, we, we hear about Joseph and his... Uh, and that generation dying out. And, and what does that have to do with this situation? Well, um, by the time we read what we read, uh, Joseph and, and his brothers and, and uh, his family, that generation has, has died out in, in, in uh, Egypt. And, uh, and how did they get there in the first place? Because actually they, you know, they, they had a, a family home, a family home, uh, in what is uh, called the, the uh, Canaan or uh, the promised land. It was where uh, God had made promises to Abraham and now Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, uh, the father of Joseph and, and uh, his 11 brothers and one sister. Uh, Joseph is the 11th of 12 boys. And, uh, and as you read the story, the account of this family, you come to realize that uh, dad is a little bit dysfunctional and his family's a little bit dysfunctional and, and he makes no bones about it that dad loves uh, Joseph more than uh, the rest of the boys and, and the rest of the family. Everybody knows it. Uh, if you read the account, you'll go, yep, that's exactly what happens. Everybody knows this, this kid is the, is the apple of his father's eye. And, uh, and because of that, the, the brothers were jealous, they were angry, uh, and when they had an opportunity, uh, they're far from dad, they're far from home, they're taking care of the family livestock, uh, moving them from place to place. Here comes Joseph, they see he's coming from a distance, and they decide, we're going to kill him. I mean, they are so angry and, and, and jealous uh, of this kid. 
and so they've decided to kill him. Well, they don't kill him. Uh, they, uh, after some conversation, they decide, well, let's make a little money off of him. We'll sell him to these slave tra- traders that are coming through. So they sell him into slavery. He goes to Egypt, and, uh, and he's uh, bought uh, by a, a high Egyptian uh, government official. Uh, and he does well for a time as a slave in that man's household, but then the wife accuses him of trying to rape her. Uh, he was innocent. Uh, he, was, he did not do that, but uh, still uh, he is accused, and uh, the husband then sends him to prison, and he spends time in prison. And, and in prison, uh, there are a couple of guys who have dreams. J- Joseph is able to interpret the dreams. One of them is, uh, later is executed as, as predicted by the dream. The other is lifted up and restored to a position of honor in the home uh, or in the in the palace of Pharaoh, and, and, and eventually Pharaoh has a dream. And, and in fact, he has two dreams, and they're different but the same. And nobody can interpret the dreams, and this one guy goes, oh, I, I remember there was this, this guy back in prison. So they go, and Joseph comes out of prison, and, and then he, is, he interprets the dream. Uh, and, and the bottom line is, uh, for seven years, that whole region is going to experience plenty. And, uh, and then uh, after those seven years, they were going to experience uh, a famine for seven years. Uh, there would be drought and there would be pestilence. All of these things were happening. And so Pharaoh says, who, who better to run the, our, our program than Joseph? And so Joseph is elevated. And, uh, and then uh, uh, things, uh, as things progress, uh, eventually the seven years of good uh, end, and here comes uh, the seven years of bad. And it's not just bad for Egypt. I mean, it's, it's, it's all of North Africa and the Middle East, and that includes Joseph's family, who at, at, by that time had thought Joseph had, was dead. Uh, anyway, they come. Uh, and, uh, and they're reunited. It's, uh, it's a, a very good story. It's in, in Genesis toward the end of the, the first book of the Bible. And, uh, and, and the entire family, because of the famine, they uproot from their home and they move to Egypt. And it was supposed to be a temporary move. Now, when we start reading in today's passage, centuries have passed. In fact, uh, at, at one point when they uh, finally leave... Uh, and they're delivered. It says after 430 years, almost to the day, they finally leave Egypt. And, and so, so uh, Joseph and his generation have, have died out, and, uh, and then we come to this in verse 8. Then a new king, to whom Joseph meant nothing, came to power in Egypt. And so to put that into context, here was this, this Hebrew kid who had done well, who had saved all of Egypt and uh, uh, the surrounding area, and yet nobody remembered that history. They'd forgotten. It hadn't got, uh, the story hadn't been passed on. All the new king knew is there's a whole bunch of people, and they are foreign, and they have different uh, uh, 
they have different uh, ways of living, and we're, we don't trust them. We're, we're not sure what to do with them, and there's more and more of them, and, and out of fear, they, they decide that they need to do something about this. And that's when we read in verse 11 and through 14, so they put slave masters over them to oppress them with forced labor. But the more they were oppressed, the more they multiplied and spread. So the Egyptians came to dread the Israelites and worked them ruthlessly. So here's the plan that Pharaoh and, and, the, and the rest of the Egypt came up with. Look, we're going to put them, we're going to make them slaves. We're going to work them hard. We're going to be rough on them. We're going to make life miserable for them. And, uh, and, and by the end of the day, after they've done a, day's, a hard day's labor, they're going to go home and all they're going to want to do is eat supper and go to bed. And, uh, and, and they figured that should take care of things. Well, obviously they did more than just simply go home, eat, and go to bed because they began to multiply. And, and they continued to thrive even under the harshest conditions. And, and so now they have to come up with a, a different plan. And so... Uh, uh, Pharaoh tells the midwives, kill the boys. Uh, and, uh, and, and that doesn't work. And so then we come to, to verse 22. We can't trust the Hebrews. We can't expect them to do anything. So I'm going to tell my people. Then Pharaoh gave this order to all his people. Every Hebrew boy that is born, you must throw in the Nile. But let every girl live. Now, that's where we ended uh, the reading today. Uh, and, and you're kind of going, well, what, why are we talking about this uh, in, uh, when we're talking about transforming lives? Well, let me continue the story. Pick it up from there. There was, a, there was a family. They had three kids. The oldest was a daughter and then two boys. The oldest daughter, when she was born, life was miserable. Uh, the next, the boy, when he was born, life was miserable. When the third boy was born, that was when the edict went out, kill every Hebrew boy that is born. And so the first two, they uh, were uh, born before that edict, but the third one was born, and he was, he was born under a death threat. He was born to die. Uh, and, and he hadn't even done anything except being born in the wrong place at the wrong time. And his parents, uh, they decided that they would follow the edict and they tossed the boy into the Nile in a basket that floated and ended, ended up at, uh, at Pharaoh's place with his daughter. And we know that boy's name. His name is Moses. Not only, you know, in those days and under those circumstances had he been born to die, but he also had been born with a destiny. God had a plan for that boy. And he was working out that, that, that destiny even in the harshest, most difficult and challenging circumstances. Now, when that boy grew up to be a, a man, he was 40 years old, he murdered a, an Egyptian slave master. And, and now, not only had, had he uh, been born to die, now he was again 
uh, a fugitive from the law and he would be executed if uh, if caught. So he runs off into the wilderness and he spends 40 years there. Uh, At the age of 80, God calls him and he comes, he he returns and, and eventually he leads the people of Israel out of bondage into the wilderness with the plan of going to the promised land. Now, again, so why are we talking about that when we talk about transformation? Well, bottom line is, this whole story is about what God was doing back then is, and is continuing to do. Uh, in fact, all of Scripture from beginning to end is setting up this problem that humanity has, that we have a broken relationship with God and with others, and we see it in our world today. Uh, when we talk about racism, when we uh, talk about war, when we talk about uh, you know, uh, you know, poverty. I mean, we can just go through uh, through the confusion that exists in our world and and the unrest that exists in our world, and, and all of that is is evidence of this brokenness that it hap- has happened in our world because of of humanity's brokenness on the inside, and it has permeated our world. And God wants to restore the relationship between him and humanity and, and between humanity, you know, between people and others. And, uh, and so this story is about that. It's an illustration of what God wants to do with everyone, everywhere. And, and uh, the thing that I want to note here is for 80 years, under the most harsh conditions with with. Uh, death looming over his head, Moses knew nothing, but he was still destined to lead people out of, uh, out of bondage. Eighty years. Eighty years. Not 15 minutes a day, but all of his life. This is all he knew. And yet God was working in those years and continues to work. I say that because, you know, we at Asbury are, are experiencing uh, both corporately together as a church changes and transitions, and, and individually uh, we are experiencing those moments, those, those challenges that come uh, from life. Uh, you know, a couple of obvious ones. First of all, you know, Come July 1st, I, I will be moving from active uh, uh, clergy to retired clergy. July 1st, uh, just a matter of months. And there's going to be this transition from me as your lead pastor to another who's coming. In fact, uh, Saturday, just, oh, Saturday like yesterday. I'm looking at you, Cheryl. Uh, the SPRC, and Cheryl's a part of the SPRC, they're having this conversation with our district superintendent about who's coming next. Um, and, 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 you know, we're in the midst of that transition uh, between what is and what will be. Uh, another one is uh, two weeks ago today, uh, Molly Hay, our uh, uh, administrative assistant, gave her uh, two-week notice, and you know, two days ago was her last day uh, in in the office, and 
uh, really appreciate what she has done uh, uh, during that time. And now we're going to, to be in transition from, from uh, our time with Molly to our time with only God knows right now. And, uh, and, and so that's a, a transition. And, and then a third transition that's happening uh, here at Asbury is, is the one where we're moving from the way we record things uh, on Breeze and, and keep track of things to Tithely, and we've, we've done a little bit of work with that together. Uh, and hopefully you've already gotten the app, uh, the, our church app through Tithely. But um, whether you have or you haven't, what it, re- what it means is that we're, we're going to have to move information. And, and we don't want, to, we don't want to, uh, to lose that information. And when that, when that transition takes place, actually things will be more accessible uh, uh, you you can uh, you can find out things uh, more quickly. All of this all of this is 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 uh, in transition. It's moving forward. But Kat and I were talking about it a few days ago, and and the uh, the imagery I would say is is it's like doing home renovation. Uh, and, and and let's say not just minor rev- re- renovation. You know we're we're, we're putting in a, a tree to replace the tree we lost when it froze. Uh, you know, some major renovation. And uh, anybody here ever gone through that? Yeah. How much fun is it when you have the workmen showing up every day, day pounding and, 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 and whatever, you know, ripping up stuff? Uh, it's not fun at all. And, uh, and when you're going through the mid- middle, uh, in the middle of that, you're kind of going, uh, I don't know why we ever decided to do this. And then, you know, maybe it's a week, maybe it's two weeks, maybe it's three months later, but it's finally done, and you go, thank goodness we decided to do this. Well, we're in the middle of that with, with that transition with information, and, and when we get on the other side of it, uh, you and I uh, will benefit from that, but right now it's stressful, and we're in transition. Um, and, and, and so as I look at what God was doing then and what God is doing now, he's still moving us toward his, his uh, freedom in our Lord Jesus Christ. He's moving us toward his planned future, which is a good one for you and for me and for Asbury. But when you're in the middle of that, it's tough. And so how long do you wait? For things to finally get right, how long do you wait until the end of the pandemic? You know, well, you wait because there's a reason to wait. And, and I'll, I'll say, here are the two things that really are answers to last week's question, what must I do? For those of you who were here last week, that was the question we ended in, what must I do? And... Uh, here are two things you can do. The first thing you can do is you can hold on to your hope. You know, just, just believe that God is at work in our world, in our church, and in our lives. Hold on to your hope. In other words, hold on to Him, our Lord Jesus Christ. And then the other thing is... Uh, Offer grace. 
offer grace when, when there's the challenges that come in, in transition and transformation. Offer grace. Offer grace to yourself. Don't beat yourself up for the things that you, uh, you don't know or don't understand. And, and offer grace to those around you when there's things they don't understand. I can tell you, again, experience in, in Russia was I beat myself up a lot because I just didn't get it and felt like I was a knucklehead dumb and uh honestly i remember that 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 moment when i recognized that the babies and the dogs knew more russian and understood more russian than i did <laughs> i mean it really happened you you know the friend said something in russian and his dog gets up and does it and i'm going i have no idea what he said <laughs> but the other thing is then there came this this realization over time something changed and to this day i don't consider myself uh, fluent but i can both speak and understand and have some idea of what the topic is if you're if a person came in here speaking russian so again hold on to your hope and offer everyone including yourself grace to live, to love, to laugh. It is all Jesus Christ. Amen?